0: Okay, well that's great. So we're turning this morning to the book of Galatians again and uh, to chapter 3. You will be familiar with the Galatian epistle if you've been with us uh, for any length of time. We're going through this uh, wonderful letter that Paul writes to the Galatian Christians and we're in chapter 3. So I'm going to read some verses from chapter 3, just the beginning of chapter 3. So from verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm reading from the (coughs) New International Version of the Bible. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his uh, precious word this morning. So uh, here we are in Galatians chapter 3 and we begin a new chapter but also a new section. You remember that I I pointed out last time that the book of Galatians is divided up into six chapters basically. And uh, the first two chapters Paul has been looking at uh, his defense of his own apostleship, because uh, the legalists, the Judaizers who had come to trouble the church in Galatia, they had criticized and slandered the apostle's name and his reputation and his authority. And they have said that he is not really an apostle, he's not an apostle like the others were, he's an upstart. He doesn't deserve the name of apostleship you of an apostle you don't want to listen to him and so paul in as he begins this letter and he in this defense he's defends his own authority as an apostle and we've seen how he has done that over these first two chapters this apostle to the gentiles Born out of time, as he describes it, he wasn't one of the disciples that walked with Jesus during those three years. He didn't have that initial uh, um, uh, opportunity to see the resurrected Christ. And yet he tells us very clearly that God had made a provision for him that he spent three years in the desert walking with Jesus And he was, of course, a witness to the resurrection because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road. So he fulfills the criteria he makes clear of an apostle. But he also makes clear through those two chapters that he has been fully accepted by the other apostles, that they recognized his ministry and fully accepted him. And he is an apostle even to the extent, as we saw at the end of that chapter, to the extent of being able to challenge and to uh, chastise even Peter, who had gone astray and who had followed after or had been leaning towards the Judaizers, in separating himself from the rest of the Gentiles when he came to the church at uh, Antioch. So here at Paul, in these two chapters, has defended his own reputation as an apostle and fully we would say but now in chapter 3 Paul turns his uh, attention to the authority of the scriptures uh, the message that he preaches and this question of authority is a, a massive issue for the church today and for society today the issue of authority in the churches today Um, We have uh, in the churches today, we find uh, a very watered down, often a very uh, messages that are lacking in authority, Christians themselves seem to be lacking in authority, and the the word that is preached is lacking in authority. It's almost an apologetic type of attitude to the gospel message, a, a watered down user friendly approach with with no clear message and no clear conviction about what is being what is being said in a recent survey. Uh, I was reading that of born-again Christians that were interviewed in a a certain survey that uh, 70% uh, suggested that there might be more than one way to God. In other words, that Jesus Christ was not the only way to God, not the only way to heaven. In other words, they had lost their authority, they had lost their their confidence in the Word of God. they were not accepting what Jesus said when Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. no one comes to the Father but by me." They weren't accepting of that, they were saying, "Well, you know that maybe there are maybe there are other ways to God, and you will find that as you go around even in Churches today, you will find that there are those who are suggesting, yes, Jesus is is the way to God, but there may be other ways as well. For postmodern philosophers and theologians, a, this, this is uncertainty is the new truth. You know, the idea that the doubt and skepticism have been have now been canonized as a as a form of humility. Uh, The right and wrong has been redefined in in terms of subjective feelings and personal perspectives. What is truth? What is truth? This is the issue that is uh, put before us today, an issue that even Pontius Pilate sort of suggested or uh, quoted in front of Jesus. What is truth? What is truth? What is authority? And yet, the, the, the supreme authority stood in front of him on that day. Now, Paul begins this uh, third chapter by addressing this issue of biblical authority uh, to a group of Galatian Christians who have lost their assurance, they've lost their, their confidence. In the gospel message that the Apostle Paul has brought to them in Galatians 3, we've just read the words. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? I would ask you, I would learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, there's a Greek word there that's an important one for us to understand. It's the Greek word used for foolish, the word anotos. Anotos. It speaks of a mental laziness rather than a lack of mental capacity. You see, these are Galatians. It wasn't a matter of the theology was too deep. Paul wasn't saying, you know, you know, you, you didn't understand the gospel message because it was too theologically deep. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying you've been lazy in respect to the gospel message. It's not a a gospel that you can't understand. A child can understand the gospel message, but you have been mentally lazy when it comes to this gospel. These Christians at Galatia had arrived at this wretched condition through lack of diligence and lack of application of the word of God. Paul exhorting the Philippians who were not in the same state but could arrive in the same state if they went the way of the Galatians. He says to the Philippians in chapter 2 there, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. He said, Work out your salvation. Be careful about it, be careful about the Word of God, be careful about what's preached, be careful about the application because it's important. Work it out with fear and trembling. It's the most important thing in the world. It's more important than your academic qualifications, it's more important than your game game systems, it's more important than anything like that, the Word of God. Apply it and be diligent in it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Understand how important it is. Understand the days that we're living in. Understand that if you don't do that, you are likely to fail. You are likely to fall. You are likely to backslide or there's a a danger of that. Your theology is likely to get mixed up. You are likely to get confused. You're going to lose your assurance. You're going to lose your confidence in the things of God. Be careful, says Paul. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be mentally lazy. Don't neglect the reading of the word. Don't neglect the coming together. Don't neglect the fellowship. Don't neglect the Bible studies. Apply it carefully. Again, Paul, talking to young Pastor Timothy in that first epistle, he writes to Timothy. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There was a young pastor. Paul says, you know, you need to be careful. You need to, you need to be diligent in, in doctrine. And you need to persevere in those things, because not only will it benefit you, but it will benefit others. It will benefit your congregation. It will benefit your neighbours, it will benefit your family, it will benefit everybody. If you yourself are confident about the message of the Gospel, you hold it close, you hold it firmly and you're assured within it. Now in Acts chapter 17, in the first three verses, we have find a picture of the Apostle Paul's attitude and the way that he ministered and the the way that he reached out to to others. We discover um, this method of evangelism in in verse 1. When Paul, we read there, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and uh, for three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So that was Paul's method. When he went to a place, he would go into the synagogue and he would talk about Jesus. In other words, he would go into the lion's den if you like, because that was what it was like. If you were to go into a synagogue in those days and begin to talk about Jesus being the Messiah and saying, you realise you, you've crucified your Messiah, don't you? If you were to, to do that, you would be entering into the lion's den. But Paul went in and he argued not by from his philosophy... Although he, was a, he had a, a philosophical training through, through Greek literature, but he, he never argued through Greek philosophy. He argued from the word of God. He argued from, from the Old Testament because he knew the power of the Old Testament. He knew the power of the scripture. He knew that God would anoint and God would honor the, the declaration through his word. And you and I, if we're going to be confident, we need to be confident in the scriptures. We can go into the lion's den and we can, as it were, and we can, we can take the scriptures with us. And we, uh, And we may have a hostile audience, if you like. We may have an audience that is very cold. Uh, sometimes but we need to have confidence in the word of God we need to have confidence in the scriptures because that's all Paul had to defend himself when he went into those places He, he took the sword but he took the sword of the spirit which was the word of God and he went into those places now Paul has disciple of the Galatian church. You remember that he he went there on that first missionary journey. He, he spent uh, time through the Galatian churches there. He spent time proving his gospel through the scriptures, but these Christians had stopped listening to that gospel. They'd stopped thinking. They'd stop. They'd failed to apply the scriptures to defend themselves and the gospel against these Judaizers. They were. They were open season for the Judaizers. You know, these legalists had just come into the church, and they said, "Well, you know, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. He's not the. He's not enough. You know, you, you need you need the law. You need you need legalism. You you need to be uh, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Jewish law. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do others." Now, today, you will find that, our, that, our, that our are 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 churches that still preach that. They say, "You know, you you, you Jesus isn't enough." You know, you've got to be baptized, or you've got to become a member of the church, or you've got to do this, or you've got to do that. You can fall from grace and lose your salvation, all that, that sort of stuff. It's because they're saying Jesus is not enough to save completely and utterly to the utmost all who come to Him. So, this was a situation with these Judaizers. They were foolish Judaizers. Now, Paul uses, oh, sorry, Jesus uses this same word. Foolish. This same Greek word you find in that passage that we read earlier from Luke's Gospel in chapter uh, 24, on that with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24:25. Jesus said to them, didn't he? He said, "How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." You see, Jesus then was using the scriptures. He was bringing together the scriptures, and he was showing them how foolish they were not to be have been diligent, not to have um, uh, have been mindful of the scriptures, and not to use the scriptures. They this is why they weren't so foolish. And he revealed to them, and he he, he showed them again the scriptures, all the scriptures that related to his uh, his coming and. Uh, And their eyes were open to the fact that it was Jesus who was speaking to them. Those men, like these Galatians, they were the sad men. They were defeated men because they had not applied the scriptures until Jesus came and showed himself and revealed himself to be alive again. They were slow at heart, the Bible says, slow at heart. They failed to act diligently. Uh, and to, and, and to, they slumped into defeat because of that. They failed to apply all the various teachings and the evidence that proved Christ would rise from the dead. And they failed to believe the prophets, the last of the prophets, of course, being, the, uh, being John, John the Baptist, who declared the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They needed to gather that evidence. They needed to believe that evidence. They needed to hold on to that evidence. They needed to meditate upon that evidence. But they fell into despair until he showed himself on that that, that uh, Emmaus road. You see, the gospel is a single message. It's, not a, uh, it's a message that if you, if you do not accept all of it, it doesn't make any sense. You have to understand that the all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correction, and training and righteousness. And if you don't believe all of it, it doesn't break, make sense. It falls down. People say, "Well, I can believe most of it, but I, I don't like that bit," you know, or "I don't like that bit," you know. And uh, you know, some people they say, "Well, you know, I I I I believe I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in in the Book of Genesis. I don't believe in the creation." account you know well if you don't if you don't start there believing there where do you start you know uh, because you know the, the bible is god's word and every word in the bible is true and every we may not like it some of it and we may find it difficult to apply in the community and in society in which we live but every word and you 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 decide to kick kick against the goads and you will find yourself in trouble because that's not what uh, we should be doing as christians this so this gospel message is a single message. these Galatians called themselves Christians and they they held certain truths, but they compromised on other issues they were going back into the Jewish law, they were going back to the uh, the conditions that were laid down in the Jewish law, and uh, they found themselves in trouble and because of that, they were tossed to and fro by every wind of, uh, of doctrine. Now the Apostle Paul, he asks a question here, he says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? And that's another Greek word that's uh, an important one for us to understand the, the meaning of the Greek word baskeno. It means to charm or to fascinate or to mislead. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, we understand something of that that term bewitched, uh, was a, a program many years ago on television uh, 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 it was meant to be a comedy program and uh, it was called bewitched you remember that uh, some of you who were older some of you are looking at me thinking how old are you but um, so some of you remember it bewitched and it was about it was a bit of a silly sort of comedy program about her a, 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 a wife who was a, who was a, a supposed to be a witch. Not not a nasty kind of witch, but uh, you know, she to make, be able to do uh, different sort of spells and that but the the, uh, the the real the real sort of bewitchment wasn't the the spell she was doing but the way she uh, she bewitched her husband in other words because um you know she she was always charming him and she was always he he, he was fascinated by her and uh, and so that was really what the the, the storyline was about bewitch was about that relationship between between Samantha and, uh, and Darren, poor Darren, he was pulled this way and pulled that way because he was bewitched. Now, I'm sure you gentlemen who are married will be the first to put up your hand and say you were, have been bewitched, you know, at some point in, uh, you know, years ago. And uh, you were uh, you were charmed and you were fascinated. I won't point that you were misled because that's another term for this, uh, uh, this thing, but uh, that's what this word means. It uh, means to use the use of feelings, use of feelings over facts, emotions over clear understanding, clear headedness. But Paul challenges the Galatians to ask, who's bewitched you? Who, who, who are these people that you've been bewitched by? Who are these legalists, these Judaizers? What do they offer compared to Jesus? How come you have been bewitched by them? What is it about their, you know, these these pharisaic types that come in here, all dressed to the nines in religious garments? What is it that fascinates you about that? What is it that fascinates you about religious garments, you know, that you, you want to follow these people? What what fascinates you about them that they, they carry some big Bible under their arm as if, if somehow they're you know, particularly wonderful what is it about their, their simpering tones, what is it about their humble disposition, almost a Uriah Heap sort of uh, disposition, oh we're, we're terribly humble and we, you know, we believe in God and we're going to, you know, do all the Lord and be very very careful about this and be very very careful about that and do all these things because you know, God is so great and, and we are so, you know, uh, it, it bewitches some people. Even today it bewitches some people. You know, some people are bewitched by 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 the names of, of, of church leaders, their their their, their titles and their their their, their 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 the way they dress and their, their churches and, and uh, you know the, the, the all the outward trappings if you like. Jesus warned about that, didn't he? He warned about, he said, those who, who, who look for attention in the marketplace, those who want to be called Father, those who sort of, uh, he said, don't follow them, don't listen to them. But these Galatians were doing just that. They were being bewitched by these people, they were fascinated by them, they were taken in by their religiosity, which is absolutely nothing. And they had lost their freedom. What what did these religious leaders offer in terms of freedom? What did they offer in terms of of, of a new life? They offered nothing at all. There was no place for Jesus really in their theology, even though they claimed to accept him, some of them, as saviour. But he was never their saviour, because they never acknowledged him as the full saviour. It was Jesus plus, Jesus plus. Jesus plus Yeah, you know, the world today says follow us the cults say follow us religions say follow us philosophers say follow us scientists say follow us humanists say follow us but why would you follow them why would we follow them what, what is it that they offer do they offer salvation do they offer hope what do they offer in finding God and peace and what will their end be? What does Richard Dawkins offer you? Confusion? He doesn't offer anything. There are people who've read his book and think somehow that he's some kind of messiah. Frees them from religion, frees them from the worry of a God who is, might be angry at some of the things they do or concerned about what they're doing. He offered absolutely nothing absolutely nothing and yet people are bewitched by them there are other people, other philosophers other religious leaders they seem to charm people but the question at the end of the day is what do they offer? they offer nothing at all Paul describes the way here that he presented the gospel to these Galatians in that first verse he says before your eyes he says Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified publicly portrayed as crucified. You see, when Paul preached the gospel to them, there was a, a, the, an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the word of God that took those people, as it were, back to Calvary. And Paul reminds them that as he preached to them the gospel message, and he preached about Jesus, it was as if they went back to Calvary, those people, and they saw Christ dying upon that cross. He was Jesus was Clearly portrayed as crucified and only the Holy Spirit could do that through the word of God. He portrayed Jesus as crucified and as people looked upon that message and looked upon that cross, they accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord because they could truly say we have been to Calvary. They saw the Christ who loved them. They saw their sin and they recognized that they were sinners in the face of, in the, in the sight of an angry God. And they didn't take it lightly and say, well, I'll accept Jesus because he offers me a new life. They said, I need Jesus because I'm a sinner. And I'm lost and I'm going to hell unless I accept Jesus as my savior. And when Paul preached that gospel, they accepted Jesus and they invited him into their hearts. And it was a it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful moment. It was an experience that they should never, ever forget. There were tears, I believe, on that day. There were people on their knees, I believe, that day. People who were saying, what have we done? What have we done? We have crucified our Savior. We've crucified the Messiah. And they were truly repentant and they truly turned and it was a a very special day. Let me ask you, do you remember a special day? Do you remember a special day when you invited Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life? Was it a special day? Do you remember it? Do you recall it? Do you go over it again and again and again? Do you think, wow, that was such a wonderful moment when my life was changed and my, uh, and my direction was changed and, uh, and that full stop was taken from the end of my life and I realized that I was on my way to heaven, not through any good works, not through anything I had ever done or ever could do, but because Jesus died in my place. Jesus died upon that cross for me. You see Paul appeals to the Galatians, he says remember, remember, remember when you were saved, remember what it was like, remember the sight of that cross, remember the feeling of guilt and shame, remember the experience of Christ coming into your life, remember. Don't ever forget it, don't ever forget that wonderful time, don't let the devil take it away, don't let the devil belittle it. Don't let the devil say, well, you know, was it really an experience at all? Hold it fast. Hold it strongly. Because today, on this Remembrance Sunday, we're remembering, aren't we? We're remembering those who gave their lives. Remembering people who were sacrificed in order that we could be here today. Christian men and women and others who were not of the Christian faith, but we remember them all and we thank God for all of them. But there were, there were Christians who, who died in order that we could sit in church today and in order that we could preach the same gospel that they preached uh, in, in the 30s and 40s without fear and, and without reproach from the government and without the government saying, oh, you can't say that, and you can't say that. If some of them were to... Look down today, I think they'd be very sad at what they see is happening in in our society today. But the Apostle Paul says, remember, oh, how the religious legalists despised that act of faith that brought people to Christ. How they despised those who said, I accepted Jesus as my saviour. I invited him into my heart. I repented of my sins and I'm going to heaven. How they despised that. They said, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. You haven't done all the legal stuff. You haven't done. You haven't been. Uh, you, haven't, you haven't been circumcised. You haven't kept the Jewish law. You haven't done all these legalistic things. How they despise that! How they despise conversion! How they despise being born again! How they despise being justified through the finished work of Christ upon that cross! But those people have never been to Calvary. Those people have never heard the gospel. Brought to them the way that Paul brought the gospel to those Galatians. They never have the experience of the power of God. They never had the experience of, of a sinner in the sight of a, a righteous God. They never experienced the joy and the peace and the freedom in receiving Christ as Saviour and Lord. Let me ask you again in closing, have you been to Calvary? Have you seen Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified? Have you seen him clearly portrayed as crucified upon that cross? Is it a vital reality to you? Is it a vital experience to you? Is it a, a message that you hold today fast? Is it a message that you're not going to let anybody uh, take away? You know, that your testimony, you know, some Christians today they're almost afraid to, to give their testimony. Don't be afraid of your testimony. It's a powerful thing. Don't be afraid of what God has done. Don't let the devil take it from you. That's what he wants to do. Jesus said about the uh, about those who were about the different types of seed in the ground. He said the devil likes to come along and take away the word. Of course initially Jesus was talking there about people before they come to faith but the devil is always trying to do that. He's always trying to take away our experience. He's always trying to push it into the back of our lives in order that we may not be the disciples and the strong christians that god wants us to be have you forgotten or have you been to calvary you cannot talk of any compromise you cannot talk of any good works you cannot talk of any other way to god if you've been to calvary because if you've been to calvary and you've looked upon that cross you know that there is only one thing that separates a man from or a woman from hell and that is the cross of Calvary it is a totally sufficient answer to sin, to sickness to searching and the world doesn't want us to know it that great old hymn lest I forget king of my life I crown thee now thine shall the glory be lest I forget thy thorn crowned brow Lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thy agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you again as we come around your powerful word. We thank you, Lord, that this word of God is applicable today as it was just in Paul's day, we know that we are living in a world that lacks authority, in a world that lacks direction. Mm-hmm. People who are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Christians who are losing confidence in the message, and in the gospel and even in their own testimony. Father, we pray for one another here today. We pray that you would uh, remind us and bring to our remembrance those glorious days, time and time again, those days when we came to know Christ as Saviour and Lord, and Lord keep it forever before us, that cross, keep it forever before us, that we may have confidence in it, that we may have confidence in your word, that we may know that your word is active and living and sharper than any two edged sword. That we can go into the lion's den, that we can talk to people who are alienated and and, and, and even almost hostile to us. And yet, as we proclaim the word of God, Lord, things can change because it's your word and your word can break through the divisions and pierce down to even to the visions of soul and spirit. So, Lord, give us confidence as a church, give us confidence as individuals, give us confidence from this platform to always preach the full counsel of God, for we ask it in Jesus name.